0: This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over 1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com. Here is Jennifer DuPlessis.
1: Hi everybody and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Today's podcast is brought to you by the great team at Maxwell. Have you heard of Maxwell yet? These guys are growing like crazy with loan officers across the country. Their borrower portal provides customizable loan apps, enables borrowers to connect with over 1,000 financial institutions to automatically pull documents like W-2s, bank statements, and pay stubs. And get this, even Automated reminders via email and SMS to keep your borrowers accountable to actually get stuff done How often do you get your docs back for your borrowers the very next day or even in an hour? Well loan officers on Maxwell are getting full needs lists back in two days or less and are submitting to underwriting 45% faster than the national average. They're getting happier customers and making more money a win-win for everybody. Maxwell starts at only $99 a month. To request a demo, simply text Maxwell to 797979. That's M A X W E L L to 797979. And make sure you mention Spark, S P A R K, to receive a special 20% discount off your first six months. Now let's get to our podcast.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen DuPlessis, and today I have a really special guest with us, and this is, um, I want to introduce you to the CEO of my company that I work for, Apex Home Loans, Craig Strent. Craig, welcome.
0: Thanks, Jen. Great to meet you.
2: Yeah, I'm, happy to, I'm so happy to have you, and this has been a long time running. Um, gosh, you know, I've been doing the podcast for almost two years now, and finally I have you on. Um, but I just wanted to share with everyone, uh, so that you don't have to do this, but I, I wanted to share with everyone um, a little bit about your production. You've been in the top 200. How many consecutive years?
0: Um, I've been on the list about 15 years. Uh, I, missed, uh, I missed one year <laughs> several years back, but other than that, I've been on, so let's call it 14 of the last 15.
2: Yeah, 14 in the last 15 years, you've been uh, in the top 200 in the country. And last year, your volume was somewhere around 89 million, I believe, or 85 million, something like that. Uh,
0: and last year was 97.5.
2: 97.5. Okay. And are you on track this year? How's How's this year panning out for you?
0: I'm not on track this year. Um, I'm below that. Uh, there was obviously a lot of refinance business in there. Uh, and I do not uh, expect it that same level this year.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, so Craig, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into the mortgage business. And maybe we can just, you know, make some bridges into where you're at now as a producer, but also, you know, as as one of the partners of our company. So I'm sure there's some challenges there as well, and we'd like to address those too. But tell us how you got into the business, because I know you didn't go to school to become a mortgage lender. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I don't even know what mortgage meant in college. Um, I uh, I got into the business in 94, which is one of the worst job markets to come out of college in, in close to 30 years. Um, and i had a, uh, a fraternity brother actually who owned a mortgage company and um invited me to join over there and um i started in the area of uh subprime consumer direct way back then when that was still a good product and useful for the market and not not abused to the level that, that it became um and that really taught me a lot of persistence because i was working primarily direct mail and telemarketing leads and it really taught me how to organize my leads in my day and stay on top of leads and, and constantly follow up. So um, uh, that was very helpful in terms of coming into the business in a, at a difficult time in the market. I think sometimes people come in at easy times in the market. And I think that doesn't serve them well when the market changes. Um, so it was a good lesson for me uh, to come into the business at a, at a more challenging time for the mortgage business.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I see that. Well, you know, after all these years that I've been doing and I've seen that, uh, you know, people coming in and thinking, you know, hey, we're going to make a bunch of money. They make a bunch of money and then when it gets tough, they get out and they sort of leave those of us that have been veterans with the leftovers, right? You know, with the issues and things. So, okay. So you were in subprime and you were being a loan officer and everything. So what happened from there? I mean, how did you eventually, you and Eric, you know, start your own company?
0: Yeah. So, um, we were there for a few years and the company was then, uh, got much bigger and was sold to a, uh, a large company that came in and uh, had an opportunity to stay there, but decided that that would be an ideal time um, for me to sort of go out on my own. I was 25 years old at the time. And um, I felt like if things didn't work out, they, they better, you know, it'd be better if that happened before I had a family and all kinds of expenses and everything else. So I thought it was a good time to start. And, and Eric and I felt that we could do a much better job uh, doing what we were doing than the company that we were at at the time. So it was really a good opportunity to to sort of go out on our own and, 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 and try to build a great company. And that's, that that's the intention we had in 1998 when the two of us started.
2: That's awesome. And so now the fun story, I mean, you've got a little fu- a fun story in there, right? You know, and I think all of us do. If we, gosh, we, and not that I'm writing another book, but there, another book could be written about how mortgage companies sort of got started, you know, in hallways and in garages and things. So when you all started, you were just in some small little um, sort of executive suite in a hallway, or maybe you guys were in the basement. Of, I can't remember which one of the partners had what, but tell us about that experience, just getting started.
0: Yeah, we were in a, in a hallway um, to start with while our office was being built out. We were out in, um, uh, in Greenbelt, Maryland, and at the time, and, uh, you know, it was, it was the late 90s, so we had one computer between the two of us. We had a shared fax machine. We were drawing out our logo ourselves. We were really bootstrapping, uh, bootstrapping it to get started, and we were loading up our cars with marketing materials to go out and, and make contacts. We were constantly attending events in the mornings and in the evenings to try to get our names out there. Uh, we were doing whatever we needed to be done to generate business as a new company.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. I think everybody's got a little story. My story is when the fax machine came in for the first time and I thought it was so cool that you could dial a phone number and put the phone onto this cradle that would talk to it and it would send paper back and forth and I took the paper home to show my husband and by the time I got home the paper was black because it was that kind of paper where if it got in the sun it would turn black. Uh-huh. I just remember how, you know, it was so funny when it came into the office. We thought we were so cool. Um Okay, so you're moving along and you're kind of having your own business and things. So, what are some of the, the milestones that started creating uh, the Craig that we know today? You know, who has been 15 years in, you know, on the top 200 in the country?
0: Yeah, I would say that um, that came out of sort of an epiphany I had. Uh, a couple of years into uh, Apex, and that is that. You know, we were doing uh, we were doing subprime, we were doing one twenty fives, and the Asian liquidity crisis. For those on the uh, listening to the podcast who really been in this a while, happened in the late nineties, and a lot of those products sort of went away overnight. Um, and um, I, I've always been a student of the industry, and I feel that's super important. I read a number of blogs every day. I'm constantly listening to podcasts, and I read a lot of industry trade publications. I used to do that back then as well. And I used to read uh, Mortgage Originator Magazine for many years before, before it went out. And i, I read an article about um, a gentleman uh, who was uh, talked about the benefit of going after financial advisors. And I'll give him a plug, because uh, he's such a great guy and still in the mortgage business. And I finally met him in person a year or so ago. His name is Bill Early, uh, owns a mortgage company down in uh, Asheville, North Carolina now. But Bill wrote an article, this is probably around 2000, about. Um, dealing uh, with financial advisors and why mortgage bankers were a natural fit for financial advisors and how really a lot of uh, mortgage people just don't don't see them as a source. So what I did was uh, I was looking in the uh, paper one day, and I saw that there was a personal financial planning conference going on here in Washington, D.C., and it was a Saturday, and I got dressed up nice, took a bunch of my business cards, and I showed up there, and I walked around the room, And I introduced myself to the financial advisors that were uh, displaying there for the consumers. And um, I uh, explained to them why I thought we should partner up. And uh, I resulted in getting a few appointments out of that. And those appointments then turned into me teaching um, classes at some of the larger financial advisory firms for their new people primarily, on uh, how to understand mortgages when they're looking at somebody's financial plan. And that that just snowballed over a 15-year period into my niche, which is primarily dealing with financial advisors and serving and supporting their clients um, on on what we call mortgage planning, which is how to use the mortgage as part of the financial plan to help meet the long and short-term goals.
2: Awesome, and I know that that's something that you've done, you know, for years and years and years. And both of us, um, and those listening that are you know are regulars on the podcast, they already know that, that I'm a certified mortgage planner. We're both CMPSs with Gibran um, through the CMPS Institute. And how how do you feel that that starting out the way you did by going to this event and really recognizing that there's um, a great alignment with financial planners? Um, how do you feel that the designation of the CMPS, or the, it's not even really the designation, but the knowledge that you gained behind that, how did that then perpetuate exactly what you were intending to do? And, you know, so I guess what my question is is that, you know, you go to this event and you think, okay, this is great. I'm going to work with them because this is what I hear from a lot of people. I don't know how to work with them. Okay. I know that I should because everybody else is saying we should, but I don't know how to work with them. So how did you take what you gained there and working with them? And then how was it changed once you became a CMPS, if anything?
0: Yeah, I think the CMPS is sort of a gift to the mortgage industry uh, and what Japan has put together um, in that sense, because I think if, if, before, if you wanted to go after a financial advisor, um, you would have to go and, you know, Barry Habib used to talk about going and getting your series six or seven and subscribing to these magazines and so on. You sort of have to teach yourself a little bit how to do it. And I think what, what's so great about CMPS is that it, it, it teaches you the language of financial advisory, and it teaches you how to sort of weave that into the mortgage piece. And then it gives you some really valuable tools to help you present to advisors and help you stay in touch with advisors and, and help you present to clients and so on. So um, to me, if you're going after advisors, I think that's a sort of critical designation to have, not just for the designation piece and the credibility, but for the tools and the knowledge that are provided in the kids. So um, I was dealing with advisors long before that, and, and I've had the pleasure of, of um, providing some input over the years on CMPS and what, what, what should maybe be in there and what could be helpful. But um, I think it's important to have that designation and those tools if you want to go after advisors.
2: So how did that designation or any any piece of this, what was the tipping point that, you know, you're out there and you're, you're dabbling with these conversations, you're kind of stumbling on some and doing very well at others, you know, learning this whole process, how long did that take? And then what was what was a tipping point for you that all of a sudden you realized that that was going to be the avenue that you were going to focus on as opposed to working with real estate agents on a regular basis? And, and I know you have some reasons why you did it, too, which we can address in a a minute.
0: Yeah. I never really, you know, I was never taught in the mortgage business how to go after realtors from the beginning. Like a lot of people, most people, I think the majority of people that get in the mortgage business, um, they're, they're trained on how to go after realtors. Well, I didn't have that training. And so I sort of had to teach myself each source as I went, especially because I was at, you know, subprime and then out on my own. So I was never in sort of a, an A paper shop at the beginning. Um, so I, I just felt like I hit it off with the financial advisors, and I was really interested in learning just on a personal level too. You know, the right things to do to expedite your financial goals, and understanding the concept of pay yourself first, and the velocity of money, and leveraging the left side, you know, of uh, the balance sheet and the, the mortgage. Um, I'm sorry, the other side of the balance sheet. So just. Really getting a sense of, you know, how the mortgage fit into the plan was interesting to me. And the people that I met on the financial advisory side, I just felt like I connected with more. They were a lot of small business people, and they were, they were very professional, and they were um, very dedicated to their craft and had a very long-term outlook and, and wanted to understand the mortgage piece. Um, and they wanted to work with just me you know, and so I really liked that a lot. Um, And I enjoyed teaching classes to them. I taught a lot of classes at the beginning and I still do to financial advisors. And it's always like a light bulb completely goes off. They never think about a lot of the concepts. I shouldn't say they don't in general as a community, but there's a lot of advisors that, you know, have not been shown the mortgage planning concepts and how it can help expedite their uh, goals for their clients and how it can help them create and preserve assets to manage. So. The tipping point for me was just seeing the true benefit of that and and seeing that other mortgage people just weren't doing it. I've always sort of felt on my mortgage side, my marketing has always been to be where other mortgage people are not. Um, And that's how I've sort of developed this financial advisor niche. And this niche maybe we'll talk to as well about working with um, divorce attorneys and and that whole community as well. Uh, I absolutely enjoy working with realtors, and I have a number of close realtor partners that I've developed over the years. Um, uh, But I I found that there was more opportunity in the uh, financial advisor community, and I enjoyed working in that space more.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so I know there's a few specific reasons why you work in that community. And I think it's really important for loan officers that are listening to understand um, some of some of those very specific reasons, <laughs> one of which is pretty funny, but it's but it's real. Right. And uh, you've talked about that before. Um, so do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Or are you trying to yeah. go? What do you
2: think? Uh, okay, I mean, yeah so Go ahead and say, why, why do you work with them? There's a couple good reasons.
0: Well, there's a few. <laughs> you know, I thought about it a lot before i started speaking on this topic and i came up with a few um that you know uh i know jabron has repeated over the years and others that that um that are really sort of things that light bulb moments and and that is that the first thing is that you know financial advisors get paid for their advice from their clients so the realtor doesn't get paid directly by the buyer but the client gets paid, pays directly to the financial advisor. So when the financial advisor gives out your name, first of all, they're typically giving out just your name. They're giving out one name. Here's my mortgage person. Here's somebody I trust on the mortgage side. And so they're not giving out three names and it's not being a commoditized uh, rate shopping experience as much. Um, that's, that's the first piece of it. Two, people are paying for their financial advisor's advice. and When you're paying for somebody's advice versus somebody just trying to maybe sell you something, refer you to somebody they like working with regularly, when you're paying for someone's advice, you have a tendency to follow it. That's why CPA referrals are generally good as well, because they're paying them for their advice. There's a tendency to follow it. They're not, again, giving out multiple names. And, and finally, um, financial advisors, uh, they don't work weekends. Um, they, 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 they work typically the same hours that mortgage people do. Uh, they're not showing houses at eight o'clock at night. Um, and so the hours just tend to align better. And while they certainly refer buyers to you, it's not necessarily always the same urgency, um, that the buyer is coming at you that the realtor tends to create. So, um, I, I like it for all all of those reasons, and there's so many more that I like, but those are some of the ones that a lot of law officers, you know, go, oh, wow, that that is true. I love that they just gave out my name. I love that people listen to their advisor's advice, and I'd love if I didn't have to work weekends and evenings just to support those referrals.
2: Right. Well, and I think there's one other key element, and this is why I work in this realm as well, is that um, it's a foundation of that you can rely on. It's a foundation of referrals that you can rely on. Whenever I'm explaining, you know, where my business lies, the first, and so think of it as a layered cake, right? The first layer of that cake is the foundation of working with financial planners and divorce attorneys. And here's my reason why, is that um, it's not reliant on what's happening with the market. When you're working with a real estate agent, when the market's good, everything's great. When the market's not, they kind of disappear and we're, we're going, okay, where's the volume? You know, the volume kind of disappeared and our cake sort of, you know, collapses in the oven, so to speak. And what I love about working with financial planners and divorce attorneys is that no one, is, so for example, with the divorce situation, no one is saying, I hate you. I don't want to be married to you anymore. But Let's check interest rates and see if they're good or bad because maybe we won't get divorced until rates are good. And so it's not reliant on the interest rate environment. And unfortunately, people get divorced, people pass away, people have children, people's kids go to college. They're not stopped from going to college because rates are low or high. And so all these life events that happen to people happen um, around, surrounding their divorce, you know, a divorce attorney in the case of divorce. And financial planners, um, regardless of what's happening in the real estate market or the interest rate environment market, and so to rely on to have your business be relied on someone who doesn't really have a game plan, a very solid business plan, as a realtor sometimes does, um, to have your business rely on that, I I think is just silly because as you know, as a sole uh, entity, you know, for deriving business. So I just wanted to add that that piece on that that piece on there because. I think that's really, really important. Is that you know, rate, whether rates are high or low, people are going to have life events, and that's going to trigger an opportunity with a financial planner to refer someone to you. Would you agree?
0: Absolutely. I mean, life events are are, are the key in, in supporting your database over over a long period of time and having a very um, a, a very loyal clientele. And, and you know, my database is the number one source of my business over time, um, and I agree that uh, you don't tend to be as commoditized in a in a life event environment, particularly obviously divorce, when, when a mortgage tend, tends to have to happen in a certain period of time, but it certainly applies to financial advisory as well. Um, uh, mortgages are often spurred by college, needs for college plans. Mortgages are often spurred by uh, construction to the home, uh, changes that occur, their uh, debt, debt, you know, um, Um, incurring other high interest rate debt out of the house. So, all these things that occur um, that oftentimes result in mortgages. Uh, And then those referrals tend to, again, be less commoditized. Plus, you should have a diversified source of business. You should have major pillars of business and you should have minor pillars of business. And it's great if your realtors, if you have a great realtor following and that's a major pillar of business, I think that's terrific. Um, And that's really, it helps you a lot in a purchase environment, certainly, for sure. Um, though there's, there's more than, you know, one way to get purchases just then from agents. But nonetheless, um, I think that's critical. But there's no reason not to diversify the sources of your business so that you don't find yourself in a position where you have all your eggs in one basket. And if all of a sudden there's a change that builder stops using you or that realtor retires or whatever, now you don't find yourself in a pinch. So it's good to have a diversified source. And I see advisors as a natural fit.
2: Yeah. Yep. I agree. Okay. So let's move on to um, something I'd like to talk to to you about as it relates to um, the people that I talk with on a, you know, on a regular basis. And it seems to be an issue with a lot of people, um, and and this is the. Uh, the issue of daily disciplines and, um, uh, well, I would just say daily disciplines. I think that, so I'm going to ask you a couple of just quick questions What uh, around this, and then we can go a little deeper into what a day looks like with Craig, okay? Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I know about top producers is um, they're extremely disciplined in their day. Um, they have control of their, their business rather than having their business be in control of them. Um, so it's a fallacy that you know, you have to be everything to everybody all the time. Um, and so let me ask you a couple of quick questions. So what, what's the one mistake you see people making on a daily basis these days? And especially, you know, you've got a, you've got a team of, I don't know how many loan officers we have now, what, 44, 43, something like that. So what, what are you seeing um, as maybe the one mistake that people are making that, that prevents them from reaching new heights?
0: Well, I think people work very reactively. It's certainly a habit you get into where you log in and then you become sort of a slave to the things that come at you, um, Mm -hmm. uh, latest and loudest, as you know. And I think not sort of marking off some time, uh, what we'll call rock time for really important marketing activities and prospecting is a mistake that a lot of people make. I think not not thinking sort of um, ahead about the marketing they want to do and and just... um, not necessarily scheduling it out because I know that you're amazing at that, but just having an idea of, okay, I want to get in front of this group. I want to get in front of that group and how am I going to do that? Who do I need to connect to? Um, so I think there's a lot of things you could be doing proactively on the marketing and prospecting side. And we tend to come in and react all day. And then by three, four o'clock we're tired and we don't get around to making those calls that we said we'd make. And so I know you have your first and ten There's a great book called eat that frog, as you know, about getting in and doing the tough stuff. First. And I truly yeah. believe that that's the better way to go about it is to work on the marketing and the prospecting activities first, and then make sure that you're doing some of that every day. I mean, the truth is that, you know, there are loan officers uh, that that do a few loans a month and babysit their pipeline all month long. And it's just, you know, it's unreasonable to do that and then think, you know, and then to be upset about not being able to get ahead. I mean, if you're closing, let's just pick a number that's probably common for a loan officer in the U.S., if you're closing four loans a month, okay? and there's an eight-hour day and 40 hours a week, if you came in in the morning and spent an hour on every single loan in your pipeline, which is unreasonable, by the way, so if you spent an hour on every single loan in your pipeline, so from nine to one, you spent all that time on your pipeline. And then let's say you went out for lunch for an hour. That's one to two. Now you're back at your desk at two. You still have three hours to market and prospect. And I am sure that the average person who's closing a few loans a month is not spending three hours a day marketing and prospecting. So it's really simple to find the time, but what happens is we don't find the time, we just sort of react and we babysit our pipeline because we're worried that our processor isn't good enough, or we haven't given him or her the proper training, and then we never get around to the more important activities. Um, Right. Remember that when you're busy, that's the best time to prospect. So the habit of loan officers, I have six to eight loans in a month and I'm really busy managing my pipeline and then I close all those loans and now the next month isn't good. And why is that? Well, it's because we weren't prospecting, while we were doing well. And the best time to make a sales call is right after you've had a successful sales call because you're sort of on a high and you're not coming from a place of scarcity and desperation. So I certainly think right. managing, I have time. I don't like the idea of time management. I like the idea of task management. These are things that I have to get done today. And those things should obviously be needle moving activities that only you can do. And anything else that can be delegated should be delegated. Um, right. You know, you may just have a processor and not an assistant or anything else, but if you just have a processor, you should still have a perfect loan process in place that very clearly defines who's going to do what and how often you're going to meet so that you can create white space on your calendar for some of the more important activities.
2: Yeah, bingo. And, and you know, to your example um, of spending four hours on your four loans, that's just one day that week. I don't know anyone who spends five hours on any loan, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> five hours a Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's just absolutely not necessary. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's, that's uh, super important. That's something I talk
0: about, you know, quite a bit.
2: So, Jen, you know, what, I, yes,
0: you, 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 you know, sort of your question was, what do I see the mistakes people are making? I, I also want to add that I don't see people investing in themselves. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that a lot of times people think their company is going to pay for everything and, and find the right leads and all those types of things. And I think there's a partnership there where the company should be searching out the right tools and then and then partnering up and sharing in uh, the expenses with their salespeople on a partnership level basis. I think mean, that's really critical. But I think um as a loan officer, is something that I've done since day one as being a loan officer, whether I was working for someone else or myself, I just think it's really critical that we invest in the tools we need, that we invest in you know, what are we going to need to present well to the client? What are we going to need to stay in touch with people regularly? What database do we need to have? What tools do we have to, to drip on them regularly? And making these personal investments. Because when you are a loan officer, you're essentially an independent you know, company operating under the banner of your corporate entity. And so you've got to think like an entrepreneur if you want to be successful.
2: Yeah, and I think the other thing that uh, you didn't mention, uh, the resources are great, but also coaching. You know, having having a coach to help you identify blind spots that you're not seeing um, in your strategy, whatever your strategy is, and especially if you're not reaching your goals. You know, it's one thing to have – First, you have to have a business plan, right? you got to have a vision, right, some passion. Then you have to have a business plan. So assuming that we have passion and, and we've identified it, assuming that we have a business plan, even the implementation of that business plan, there could be some blind spots there that a coach can help identify, especially if the plan is not working.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: and Right. And- I agree
0: with that. I've had a coach for several years and I resisted that coaching for a long time. And I really feel that that was a mistake. I wish I would have done it earlier. And for those listening to the podcast that feel that they can't afford a coach, um, certainly Masterminding and accountability partners are a great way to get started on coaching by finding someone else that you know and trust in the industry that you can meet with regularly and keep you accountable and you can do the same for them. And joining up with other people, be it locally or nationally, to share ideas on topics. I did, I've been doing that for many years, and there's nothing more valuable, I find, than, than sharing uh, ideas uh, in, in, a, in a nice professional setting and environment with other people that are doing what I'm doing in different parts of the country. And to me, that's, that, that activity has opened my eyes to more opportunities than anything else I've done in my career.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I have a, a mastermind group as well, and I and I love listening to ideas that everybody has. Um, okay, so if someone's listening in and there's in and you know they want to get this, get themselves you know more disciplined and really focusing on their time and really recognizing, or hopefully hearing the aha moment you mentioned about spending four hours on your on your loan one day, and then what else are you going to do with the rest of your time? What are some of the roadblocks that people should be looking for that would prevent them? from taking action and implementing and how might we be able to overcome them if they don't have a coach or they don't have a mastermind group to go to and it becomes a inside job you know well
0: interruptions are the number one roadblock i think so um blocking time on your calendar to go through your your emails and work on your pipeline and whatever else you have to do and then being done So when you put tasks together, similar tasks like emailing or making calls, it's much more efficient and it goes quicker and it's easier to manage. So blocking time to do those and then being done with that time and coming back to it later. So if you're really concerned about missing an email or something from a client, Then you block two hours for prospecting, and you then right after that you have thirty minutes to an hour for the other stuff that you need to react to, and then right back into the prospecting and marketing. So that's a big piece of it uh, in terms of hurdles is creating the space for yourself. I like to get away from the office at least once a month and have you know what we call what I call an on day. My coach turned me on to that and being separated from the office where I could spend time working on my business and on my marketing and writing things I need to do and maybe connecting with people if I need to and, and doing self-education and learning. So um, I like to do that and I think that, that sort of helps move the needle. Um, I think people get into the habit of um, when it comes to their marketing, just always sticking with the same sources and not sort of looking to see are these sources that are referring me business? is this the kind of business I want, or do I just react to it because this is what's coming at me? But being more deliberate about creating new referral sources and just reacting to the ones that we have. Um, and I think that's super important. You know, most people give up on a new realtor after one or two calls. And we know from, from lead surveys and CRM management that it could be as many as six times until a prospect calls you back. And the same thing applies to the referral part. Now, I mean, think about a realtor or a financial advisor or something else. If you are calling them regularly in a professional manner and offering value, uh, tips on a program that might have come out, uh, guidelines that they may not know, a book that they might be turned on to, if you're regularly doing that, it is just a matter of time until you get the appointment. And so I think that's a really big one. And I think it's really important that when you get that appointment, you show up prepared. A lot of loan officers just come into these realtor meetings, let's meet for coffee, they come in, there's nothing in their hand, they're not prepared for the meeting, and it doesn't reflect well. I think when you come into a meeting, you should have done your research on the individual, both on them both personally and on a business level, know what they like, know what they do, understand their business. There's all kinds of resources out there for us to learn these things before we meet with someone. And then you should come with very specific things that you can do uh, to partner up. For financial advisors, that might be case studies of things you've done. For realtors, it might be special programs for the clientele that they work with. It might be uh, special tools for marketing that you can help them with. And and these are the ways that you're going to develop new business. You've got to stick with it and be persistent over time.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I totally agree. So in today's market, because, we know, it's it's hyper-competitive, there's not a lot of inventory out there. And so, you know, there's more loan officers and realtors than there are homes to finance. And, you know, it's trying to find a needle in a haystack. All that gloom and doom (laughs) everybody has, uh, which I don't always succumb to. But. That's what everybody's saying. Uh, You know, what what challenges are you experiencing right now, and, and how are you managing them? How are you working through those so that you could maybe enlighten how a top producer handles and works through challenges as opposed to someone who's really just, challenged all the way around, struggling with volume, with confidence, uh, financially, etc.
0: Yeah, I think it's just a matter of going wider. So with less inventory in our market and certainly with more pricing pressure as, as the market has changed and there's more people going after less business, I think it is, it, it's a question of, of wider and deeper. So with the existing relationships you have, getting as deep as you can with those which you know that you're their mortgage person and adding as much value as possible. Um, and, and people sort of throw those words around what is that what does that really mean? It means showing them the tools. It means it means comparing you know offering them an analysis to help their people buy who might be sitting on the fence. What tools can I give them so these people who say I may wait for rates this, or I may wait for the market that what can I give you to help move those people? Something specific would be helpful on the on the realtor side. Okay that could be sort of a buy now versus buy later analysis type of thing. And and also taking the time to go into the area of other sources and going wider because some of the people that we were doing business with might not be doing as much business. And maybe they're getting sort of solicited by a lot more people. And so going wider and looking at what other sources are out there, who could they introduce us to, these existing sources we have now, and looking at other areas where we might get business. And Obviously, um, there's a lot there. There's Financial advisors, CPAs, realtors, the divorce market. There's consumer direct. If, you, if you're good at going online, there's a lot of ways to get business from networking and sitting on community boards and being involved in nonprofit activities. So there's so many different things that you can be doing on an ongoing basis to to sort of mitigate uh, this this slowdown that some have that some have experienced.
2: Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And I actually call that um, richer relationships. I, I went and I just said, you know what, no more deeper, no more wider. It's richer because it implies deep and wide, right? Just really richer, richer relationships to help you have a rich life. You know, it's it's like the book, um, Think and Grow Rich. Everyone thinks that, that if they pick it up and I start thinking, I'll just be rich. And it's not about money. It's about having a richer life. And that's what, what you're talking about now is identifying the handful of people that become, uh, you know, closer to you, closer in your circle of influence, maybe even an ambassador, you know, a group of ambassadors or advisors trying to help you um, see the blind spots that you have as well. Um, so I think, that, I think that's absolutely wonderful. I think that's absolutely a great Great idea. So hopefully, now listen, if you're listening, you're listening to that part, you know, stop it, rewind it, and listen to it again because that was super powerful, you know. So so um, as we kind of r- roll into, you know, finishing up our conversation today, um, what, what do you think has been... Uh, and maybe it's several things. It's not one. I'm not asking you for one. But, but you know, when someone's listening to this podcast and they think, gosh, I wish I could be um, Craig. I wish I, you know, could be the top and have all this money and have all this production and have this great life and, you know, all those things. And there's a lot of there's a big gap between wishing and actually having. Right. And I know there's a lot of hard work in there. Um, there's a there's a beautiful um, poster of a uh um, an iceberg, right? And underneath the iceberg, and, and it's all beautiful and everything, but under the iceberg it says failure and and long hours and, you know, pain. There's all kinds of things that create this beauty that's there. So as we kind of, you know, tidy up today, what what are... What are some of the pains and challenges that you went through, you know, to get you where you are, are today? Aside from the fact that, you know, we were talking about being disciplined, you know, knowing your marketing, it, taking off some time. But what's the magic sauce for Craig, if there is well, one?
0: Well, just remember, this. Is. It, 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 this business is a marathon. It's not a sprint, and I hate to use that cliche, but it's really important. Mm-hmm. So why not just throw money at random things, like paying for a realtor's Zillow ads, or running one ad in the paper, or doing this one mailer, or going to this one event in the chamber. And then those things don't work, and they go, oh, that didn't work. But for those listening to the podcast, let me tell you, everything works if you stick with it. If you mail a neighborhood for a long time, you'll get business. If you go into a newspaper ad, and you keep that ad going for a long time, it will pay for itself. If you constantly target the same real estate office, eventually they'll come around. So whatever it is that you want to be doing, and whoever it is you want to be working with to get business uh, from, you have to take a long-term approach and just come up with a plan for the long-term, budget for it, and, and don't give up. And have a lot of those different irons in the fire and those slowly produce dividends. But it's not going to be super quick. That's the key, is that that's why you have to go very wide to begin with and try a lot of different things and then once you see which things are working for you, then you have to go deep on those things. And I really advise people to get as educated as they can, because anybody can talk about rates and fees and service. But when you can start talking about deep knowledge of guidelines that'll make a deal work, when you can start talking about how the mortgage fits into the plan, when you understand the nuances of divorce, and you speak the language of the divorce lawyer and the mediator, that's when those deals are going to come and show up. It's much easier to get business when you meet somebody in person. And so if they won't meet you in person, find out where they're going to be, meaning that might be hitting a realtor association event. You might have to join the family law section of the local bar association. Um, You might wanna be a part of the FPA, the Financial Planning Association. So if you can't get the appointment you want with the people you wanna get in front of, then find out where they hang out and start hanging out there as well. Group that you want to get business from. Any business isn't good business. You want to, you want to design the types of referrals that you're going to get. Um, if you're working with part time agents who are doing only a couple of deals a year and always giving out multiple names and every deal is a race to the bottom, then you should rethink you know, the types of business and the types of people you want to work with. And so that's what I've done over the years is simply thought about the groups I want to be involved in. How can I learn their language? How can I get in front of them? How can I present to them? And how can I have them look at me as an expert? Um, And for me, that's been certifications, that's been drip marketing, and that's been showing up in person and making those connections. And that's really worked over a period of time for me.
2: Right, right, and again, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, so anybody who's listening saying, you know, I want to be like Craig, recognize that this is years and years and years of work, but the key is, if you don't start doing this now, then it means more and more years out there before you really define and, and obtain success, so, so it's get started today, right? It's, it's like well, part of my book says, you know, stop talking, take action, you know, shut up, go do it, because if you, con- you continue to ponder it, you're just delaying your success, and um, and that's why I wanted to ask you about those challenges because I think sometimes people are afraid of success. It's not the fear of failure; it's the fear of being actually being successful. And what does that really look like, mm-hmm. you know? And I and think that begets, I
0: think you know, success begets success, and loans beget loans. So once you you know, within every loan you do, there's opportunities for multiple more loans. HR managers, financial advisors, CPAs, friends, family—there's a million opportunities in every loan. So once you start doing a couple, and you start getting those opportunities, then it'll snowball. And once you get into a community of good realtors or advisors or financial planners, whatever it is, where you get deep into a chamber, what happens is you develop a reputation over time and the referrals sort of snowball from that source. So, it, you know, the longer you stick with it, the easier it will get and the better it will be in that, in that whatever the discipline is you're going after.
2: Yeah. Assuming that you're providing good service when everything comes in, because what you don't want to do is just say, well, all I need to do is find all these people and bring them in, and everything will be hunky-dory. You have to make sure that you've got your perfect loan and pro- loan process in place, that everyone on your team is on board so that the deliverable is um, you know, impeccable and impels people or compels people to want to refer you rather than just having an okay process.
0: Yes, and I, I would agree with you, uh, Jen, that the perfect loan process, something that I put in place about three years ago, is is incredibly important, because if you're not thinking about every single thing that you want to do in every single loan, then you're going to miss things. And you know, the majority of frustration we we'll officers not just have at the end of the process with a last-minute condition or something that comes up, it, it, it's just not being proactive up front and asking the right questions, and then it's easy to blame somebody else. But at the end of the day, if you unpack those situations, almost all of them can be avoided If if we as officers, are doing a very good job up front, making very clear every step in our process and making clear with our team who's going to complete that process, is it me or is it you? And at what stage am I talking to the customer and at what stage are you talking to the customer? Once you can separate that out and get it on paper, you'll liberate a massive amount of time for yourself and you'll find your files going a lot smoother. That'll result in happier clients, more repeat and referral business and great reviews online.
2: Yeah. And you know what I love, and I've taken this from you for now two years, you know, is it's important to slow down to speed up.
0: Absolutely. You really do. And I I was going very fast for a long period of time and and once I understood that, I did have to slow down to sort of get my my hands around things and see the bigger picture on the side of where I wanted to expand my team and what are the things I wanted to let go of so I can do other things. Um, it, it made a huge difference. So listening to the podcast, take a day away from the office, write down every single thing you want your process to look like, write down the things you want to be working on in your business and when you're going to do that. Be diligent about it. Come back in, get input from from colleagues and, and from other people in your network and, and then slowly implement. Yeah,
2: I totally agree. Well, thank you so much. All right, so what can we, what would you like to leave us with? If there's one thing that you could leave, I mean, here we have you, a top producing loan officer in our country who, you know, is being successful every single year, um, year after year after year, and you want to tell one person who's listening, what would you like to tell Tell that one person to be able to achieve or get get in the right direction to achieve the success that you've realized?
0: Yeah, a couple tips I would say is be a student of the industry. Learn as much as you can. You should be reading guidelines whenever you can, learning about new products um, constantly. Um, try to find a great mentor. See if there's someone in your, in your office or in your company that will sort of help work with you and show you what they do and bring you up and keep you accountable and help you put your process on paper. It could be a sales manager. It, it could be a colleague. So never stop being a student of the business. Try to find a great mentor. Uh, try to join a masterminding group. Uh, attend conferences as often as you can. Watch webinars um, and... and make sure that you have the proper tools to do your job. You have to have the proper uh, presentation software. You have to have um, the proper designations for what you're going after. and You have to have the tools that other officers have uh, to keep up in the industry. Make sure you take a long-term outlook. Make sure you do a great job blocking out what you're going to do for your day. And most importantly, if you just do a great job for your customers, you truly care, you help them with them mortgage. you make it a great customer experience for them and for your referral source, then the business is going to naturally flow to you.
2: Excellent. Yep, absolutely. Excellent. Yep, and if you're not moving forward these days, you're actually moving backward. You're not even standing still. Because we're moving so quickly, you know. Yeah, I love that. And I, would, and, and I would just like to add to that, you know, as Craig was talking earlier about, you know, blocking your time and, and working on the rocks first, you know, the big important things first, like the eat the frog with, you know, Brian Tracy, excuse me, Brian Tracy's book. Um, in order to be a student in this environment, um, in, in our industry, you have to block the time to work on that. You can't just, you know, download a bunch of podcasts and not listen to them. You can't download several YouTube videos or sign up for a bunch of different events and not actually carve out the time to sit and listen to them and implement some of the, the things that you've learned from each one. It's not enough to go to a conference. It's, it's more important to go to the conference and have some takeaways that you actually implement.
0: Absolutely. you know, Everybody can go to the conference and sit in there all day long and take three pages of notes. But it's, it's coming back to the office and, and slowly prioritizing and marking off what you can do and what it means on your on days. And by the time you get to that next conference, you want to make it through a good portion of your list. Remember that in, in, in most things in business and certainly in the mortgage business, oftentimes the genius is not in the idea. The genius is in the execution. And the person that executes best is generally the one that wins in the mortgage business.
2: Yeah, bingo. Bingo. Well, Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, it only took two years, um, but, <laughs> but that's okay. We'll have you on again next year. You know, I think it's important for, you know, us to, to uh, you know, see how things progress with you and see what new ideas you're, you're, uh, you have for us. And um, so if someone wants to get a hold of you and ask maybe a follow up question to something that they heard, how, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Um, email is fine. It's just Craig at apexhomeowners.com.
2: Okay, which is C-R-A-I-G, yes. so that everybody knows. It's not Greg, it's Craig right. at apexhomeloans.com, and that's plural. So, again, Craig, thank you so much. Um, you know, it's a pleasure to work with you. I'm, I'm really privileged to be able to have the opportunity to be able to call you and reach out to you anytime I feel like it. And um, I hope that everyone who's listened in feels that they have just received that same privilege of being able to hear how your success um, has, has evolved and what they can do to start emulating you and following that same path over time for
0: themselves as well. So thank
2: you again for uh, joining us today. It's been a great
0: pleasure. Thank you, Jen. The podcasts you have on your, on your site there uh, are really, in my mind, must-listening for anybody in the business who really wants to go to the next level, there's so much amazing in which content on there and great advice. So thank you for what you're doing as
2: well for the industry. Absolutely. I'm I'm, I'm happy to do it. Okay. So listen, everybody, uh, you know, again, I would say carve out time, listen to what Craig had to say, make some notes and decide what you want to make some, um, take some action on and start working on putting that action in place, especially now we're recording this, you know, October 2nd in 2017. This is when you want to be working on your business plan for next year and start thinking about how you want to proceed with that. And guess what? In the next three months, you can become a certified mortgage planner. You can become a certified divorce lending specialist. It wouldn't take that much time to implement this for next year. And um, again, please go to iTunes and give us a review. If you have any questions or any topics that you'd like to have discussed, you can always reach me um, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, you name it, you can get a hold of me. So thanks for listening in and please remember to share with your friends. We'll catch you next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery.
1: Hey, everybody. Once again, I'd like to thank Maxwell for sponsoring today's podcast. If you are looking to reduce your paperwork, speed up your time to close and have happier borrowers, they would love to hear from you. Simply text Maxwell to 797979. That's Maxwell, M A X W E L L, to 797979. And make sure to mention Spark, S P A R K, to receive a special 20% off for your first six months. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates transcripts,
0: selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.